This is the audio of Bible study taught by Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find our website at goodshepherdlincoln.org, and there's a uh, treasure trove of other information available there as well. Uh, let's get into Bible study now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right. Just a reminder, if you haven't gotten your picture taken for the photo directory, uh, do go uh, today during this study hour and get that picture taken. And then another reminder, we do have that uh, Building the Faith in the Home class for all the families with children in our church, uh, and that'll be right after second service. Um, So those two things going on this morning. We're uh, in the middle of Genesis chapter 6, and we're getting ready to talk about a flood, the worldwide flood that Scripture speaks about. And as we read it and talk about it, I want to keep in the background, so, so often when people talk about the flood, the only thing they mention is how mean God must be, okay? What kind of a God wipes out the whole world? Okay, And as we do so, as we talk about the flood, I want to submit to you that it's actually not God's meanness that is at work, but rather his mercy and his grace teaching us about Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look for baptism uh, being prefigured in the flood. And Peter mentions this uh, in both of his epistles, 1 Peter 3.20 and 2 Peter 2. Um, and we're going to talk about how the reason that God keeps Noah and Mrs. Noah and the kids alive is why? Because he's promised a Savior who will be descended from Eve. And if God kills everybody, and including Noah... What does that make God? A liar. (laughs) And is God a liar? No. And so it's because of his grace and the promise of Jesus that Noah is kept alive as well and his family. And I'm going to submit to you as well that all the people who are wicked, descended from Cain and and whatnot, that God in his infinite wisdom knows they will not repent. Okay? And so we have to keep that in mind, all these things. God is not mean. He's working to teach us about Jesus and to show us grace through all of these things. And so that's what we're going to talk about as we go forward uh, with Noah and the flood. Any questions before we dive in? There should be a new sheet. It starts with the last slide from the last sheet and then picks up with... um, with the one that's up on the screen now. All right. I I hear something. Yeah, Nick. I was just wondering if you could 
Now, this is not a genocide because God can do that. It's not a genocide because God, God knows the hearts of all people. And so, um, you know, if Mark is a poor, miserable sinner and there's nothing that will ever happen to bring him to repentance, okay, God knows that. And God operates according to that. And so we have to keep that in mind. He's not cruel. He knows way more than we can possibly comprehend. And he knows the hearts of all the people. And even, even if there are some who do have faith and who are killed in the flood, what promise then do they have? We, we talk about heaven to start with, right? Where their spirit will go to be with God. That's the beginning, but then even more, on the last day, they'll be raised from the dead to live body and soul together with God in a new heaven and a new earth, world without end. Even better than Eden. And so, if you think in the long game and know that God knows all and that God will put all things right, all of a sudden it makes a lot more sense. Now, you had said something else before that, but I didn't catch all of it. Uh, well, I was just trying to sort through in my mind the kind of things that we're looking at nowadays. And I was also thinking in connection with the sermon today that uh, people were baptized in the wilderness, but they still fell in the wilderness. Yep. And, uh, it, so that's sort of, that's the same sort of thing there, isn't it? It is, it is. And that's why the best day for repentance and faith is today. <laughs> and, and don't put it off. Uh, you know, you see more and more... I don't know when, I know soon, very soon, Jesus is coming back. It could be any, any day. So repent now. It could be a thousand years. I, I just don't know. Repent now because the day of God's mercy and grace is today. It's not something to be taken lightly. Uh, you, you could have a war here just like is going on in Ukraine or just like is going on in Israel. Um, and we could all be at risk of dying any moment. Um, we're not immune from that. There's been wars like that in the United States, right? The Civil War, we could talk about that for a long time. I'm not going to. We need to be ready today to go to be with Christ. And the way that happens is by repentance of our sins, hearing God's word, Living in our baptism, and that's, that's a big way to say it, living in our baptism and receiving the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. And that's why that's the center of everything we do here at church. All right. Okay. We're going to go on then to Genesis 9 and 10. I'm going to read that, and we're going to dive in. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay, now we hear about Noah here again, 
and we hear about his family. But we hear this interesting phrase here, that he is a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and that Noah walked with God. We have to ask the question, what does this mean? These things that are said about Noah in Genesis chapter 6. What does this mean? What do we know that Noah had that few others had in his time? Faith. Faith in what? Faith always has to have an object, right? So I know um, he's not here to defend himself. Pastor Goodroad today has faith that the chiefs will beat the ravens. Okay? Um, I don't know if that's a good faith or not. (laughs) Okay? We have to have faith in something. What's Noah's faith in? God and his word specifically, I heard somebody else say, his word of promise that there will be a savior who will crush sin, death, and the devil's head. Jesus. His faith is in Jesus. And because he has that faith, it's counted to him as righteousness and he walks with God. And even that phrase, when's the last time we heard somebody walking with God? Enoch. Okay? And so... Enoch had the same faith that Noah had. Now, God's not going to take Noah in the same way he took Enoch, but God's still going to work in him, in his faith, to bring about salvation all the same. Okay? And the same could be said by us, about us then, too. What is it that makes you righteous and blameless in this day and age? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And the faith that we, we receive from God as a gift that brings that forgiveness to us. Because we believe in Jesus, the same words that were said about Noah could be said about us. We have the same faith. Does that make sense? All right. I want to, this is a little bit of a goose chase here, but we're going to do it anyways. We have Noah's sons mentioned in these verses as well. And they're mentioned in this order. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And later on, it's going to tell us that they were born, or already told us, right, uh, end of chapter 5. Noah was 500 years old. Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And there's people who say, Aha! You see, the Bible is wrong. Because... In chapter 5, verse 32, it says that Shem, Ham, and Japheth were triplets. And then later on, it says that um, Shem is only 98 when he gives birth to a child two years after the flood. And so all the, the Bible is contradicting, and so you shouldn't believe it about their ages. But it's telling us a general thing here, and it's even telling us their names in the wrong order. Shem is not the oldest, and there is not a contradiction here. What we're hearing is, when Noah turned 500, he had his first son, Japheth. Okay? And that's in Genesis 5.32. Okay? He's the oldest brother out of the three. And then, if you peek ahead a little bit to Genesis 11.10... That's when we hear how old Shem is. Okay? 
These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arphaxad two years after the flood. Okay? And so we know that at the beginning of the flood, Shem was 97 years old. The flood lasted a year. He got off the ark at 98 years old, and he fathered his son at 100 and then if you go forward just a little bit from there to Genesis 9:24 you see that Ham is the youngest son but it never tells us exactly his age but what does it tell us then at the time of the flood Ham is younger than 97 and so the age order is Japheth, Shem, and then Ham. Why then, in Genesis 6.10, does it say Shem, Ham, and then Japheth? Any ideas? What's that? Strength of faith. Strength of faith? That's, yeah, that's a good... But that's it. He says, doesn't Japheth dishonor his dad? That's actually Ham, which is weird then. Why is Ham second? Okay, Corey, I see your hand up too. Yes, exactly. Shem is the one through whom Jesus is going to be born. Okay, and so... You've heard today there's those people out there that are anti-Semitic, okay, who treat people wrongly because of their race, specifically Semitic peoples, okay? Those people are called Semites because they're descended from Shem. Jesus is descended from Shem. And so the Bible lists him first here, even though he's the second son, because he's the one through whom the promise is going to be made. Now then you have it weird. You have Ham listed second. Why? Well, because Ham is the father of Canaan. And Canaan is the land in which Shem is going to be promised and inherit through the people of Israel and the place where the promise is going to be fulfilled. The Canaanites are going to be kicked out even though they lived there for uh, a thousand years or more. They're going to be kicked out by the Israelites when they leave Egypt. And so we have the person through whom Jesus is going to be born and then the people who are going to be displaced whose land Jesus is going to be born in and then Sorry to say, I'm guessing that almost all of us are descended from Japheth, and he just really doesn't matter that much <laughs> in the Bible. Okay? Europeans, in general, are descended from Japheth. Okay? So that's the, way, that's the reason that they're ordered that way. And that's a silly thing, a little bit of a goose chase, but I hear all the time people say, this is a contradiction in the Bible, so it's not true. That's just not simply the case. It'd be the same as me saying, you know, when Elizabeth and I were 26, 
We had four kids. Doesn't mean four kids were born that year, but that's when we began to have kids. Okay. All right. Correct. So, it actually goes to the fourth one, Judah. Is there, is there any theological significance to that uh, for us to glean? Because we see it here. Yeah. Very beginning. I think what it, <laughs> I think what happens is, is that we just assume that God is going to pass the promise on through the firstborn, because that's the way we do things. But you see. Over and over again, and I think the place to look at to understand this would be actually David. Okay? Um, God isn't looking at birth order. That's not what he cares about. What is it that God cares about? Faith. God sees into hearts differently than we see outwardly. And the, the example of David, I think, is really good here. Because David is not the firstborn, or the second, or the third. I think, off the top of my head, that he's the eighth. And when Samuel goes to anoint the king from the house of Jesse, he's confused. And God says to him those very words, I'm not looking outwardly like you are. I'm looking in the heart at the faith. And that's the way then that the promise gets passed on through faith, which is actually good news because how do we receive the promise? By faith in the same way. And so we can make that assumption, but that's all it would be is an assumption that it passes to the oldest. Okay. Yeah, Kurt. Kurt wanted to take up the rest of the class on election. <laughs> um, his question is, in Romans it talks about election. Is this what it means? And the answer is yes. God foreknows, he sees ahead if we believe or not. And then he elects us um, to be Christian in that way. The Calvinists have made this very difficult for us to talk about. It should be a comfort to us. God has chosen us to receive heaven. We're sure and certain of that because we are baptized. But the Calvinists have made this hard because they say God chose some to be saved and God chose others to go to hell. And that he made them specifically to go to hell. And when you say that, all of a sudden your God becomes not a very nice guy. And so we reject that, but their discussion in that way makes it hard for us to talk about what Scripture actually says. That God in His omniscience sees ahead who will believe and who will not, and He selects them to be saved, not as if He's choosing them and then not choosing others to go to hell, but rather He just knows who 
will hear his word and believe it. So yes, that's what Romans is talking about. And I tried to do that short, so if I'm not clear, I think we've talked about it on Thursday Bible study a couple of times as well. Um, so that's the, the brief answer. <laughs> Nick? Yes. It is correct to say we are chosen in Christ. Yes. Yes. And that brings us back to what we said there. Why is Noah righteous and blameless and walking with God? Because he's heard God's word of promise and believes it. And that's the reason that he's counted as righteous, because he has faith. Okay, I'm going to go on before we get back down that path anymore. (laughs) All right, 11 through 13. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah... I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them, through the flesh. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. All right, now this is in contrast to Noah, who had faith and believed God's promise. In comparison, the earth is corrupt in God's sight, is filled with violence. Because all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. They have rejected God and his promise. And for that reason, they are not in the faith. And God, in his infinite omniscience and foreknowledge, knows that there is no hope for them to repent and come to the faith. And so, his solution is to destroy all of those who will not come to faith and save those who are in the faith for the sake of who? That's the right way to say it. For believers. For believers beginning with the eight in the ark, Noah and his family, and also for you, God in his foreknowledge knows that if he doesn't do this, that you and all the believers that are before you won't be in the faith. That the faith will be eliminated. Okay? So he is going to eliminate all those outside the faith. He's going to save Noah and his family so that he keeps his promises And all of this is going to be brought forward to culminate then in the life and death of Jesus Christ. And in the meantime, just to be clear what Peter teaches, the world that you're living in is going to continue to be corrupt. And it's going to continue to look more and more corrupt. Until finally on the last day, God will destroy it not with a flood of water, but with a flood of fire. But you'll be safe in the ark of the church, brought through 
to live with God in his kingdom forever. All right? All right. We're going to talk about the flood then, because that's right where we're at. Now, the first thing I want to point out, um, and we're going to use Pastor Goodroad as an example, because he's not here to defend himself. Pastor Goodroad, what's his name? What's his last name? Goodroad. Okay. Do you have any idea why his name is Goodroad? See, that's is good. Okay. He told me this a while ago, so if it's not true, then we'll have to go bother him about it. His family, back in Europe, owned a farm, and the farm was next to a road, and it was the good road, and there was another road that went the same direction, but it was the bad road. But since their family lived by the good road, they got the name... Good Road. Okay, is Marlies here? Nope, okay. You can make sure she verifies this. Okay. That's a long, long time ago, but that history is still in their mind so that Pastor Goodroad can say that when you ask him about it. Okay? This is an example of how real history gets remembered and brought forward throughout time. Another example would be If you are living in a rural place and you ask for directions, someone might tell you to turn at the old Johnson place. Even though the Johnsons don't live there and haven't lived there for 50 to 75 years, the memory of them living there is still in people's mind and it gets passed on to future generations. Now, I'm saying all these things to tell you that this has happened with the flood, okay? The flood is recorded for us in the scriptures, but in every single culture across the entire world, there is a living memory of the flood that's gotten passed down, and modern scholars call these flood myths. And they, they go all the way from the Ojibwe culture here in the United States to the Polynesians because there was a fight between the lizards and the platypuses and the lizards wanted to eliminate the platypuses so they caused a worldwide flood and almost everybody died. Okay, uh, to In Vietnam, there's the story of a great flood that leaves only two survivors who must consummate their marriage to keep the human population alive. And then even the most popular one, the most well-known one, is the Epic of Gilgamesh, where Utnapushnam uh, saves animals in a flood on an ark. And so this idea of there being a worldwide flood has been passed down generation to generation in every single culture, not only in the Bible. Now, all these other cultures that have these floods, um, over the years, they have been twisted and changed, right? So is the flood actually about lizards and platypuses fighting? No. But the history of the flood, as it got passed down generation to generation, got twisted and changed so that 
In that culture, in, um, in New Zealand, that's what they think it's about. We know that our account in the Bible is true, and it is not corrupted, and it is the truth because where does our account come from? From the Bible, which is the Word of God, and in fact, it's what God told Moses to write down when Moses and God were talking. Moses writes these words down from God. And so we have a first-person account in the Scriptures. And that's important for us to know as we read this. But it's interesting that everybody else, this was so tragic that they have memory of it, even if it's corrupted. Does that make sense what I'm saying? All right, so keep that in mind. And this is important to know when you watch things like the History Channel. Okay, I remember when I was in college at Concordia Seward, we were watching the History Channel and they had a documentary on the, on the ark. And it started raining and the water rose so fast that it compressed the air above it and it became so hot the ark like burst into flames. And this, yeah, it can't be true. Okay, you have to know this is true because it comes directly from God. And that's its basis in truth. Okay? Now I want to start with 14 through 16, the dimensions of the ark. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. A cubit is about 18 inches. It's from your middle finger to your elbow. Okay, and so when you see cubits, take it times one and a half. So how many feet long was the ark? 450. Its breadth, 50 cubits. That would be 75 feet. Okay, and its height, 30 cubits. That's 45 feet. Okay, so you have those numbers. Uh, and then it says, make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set a door in its side with three decks, a lower, a second, and a third. Those are the dimensions that God gives us that the ark was made. And the beautiful thing is, is that we're at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church. Okay, the width of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church is about 80 feet. So just a little bit wider than the ark was. The length of Good Shepherd uh, is 265 feet. So the ark was, uh, you know, 180 feet longer than Good Shepherd. It would go out to about the garage in the parking lot down there. Okay, and then the height of the ark was 45 feet. And you think about Good Shepherd, how many levels are there in this building? There's downstairs, there's this level, and there's upstairs, just like there would be on the ark. And you notice the ceilings here are a little bit taller than 10 feet, at least on this floor. They're probably 9 or 10 feet downstairs and upstairs, right? Probably a little more than that. So, if Good Shepherd was a little bit longer, it's about the same size 
as the ark, a little longer, almost twice as long. Okay? So that's the size of the ark. Yes? Was pitch tar. Yes. That's how they waterproofed it with tar, just like we do on the roof here. The flat parts, we have rubber, but I imagine there's tar holding the seams together here at church. Okay? And so the tar, and in fact, yeah, that's too much. <laughs> it, it's a special kind of tar that is located. Uh, in the Middle East that dries and becomes hard and doesn't melt. Okay, that's the pitch that we're speaking about, that kind of tar. Yes, yes, uh, bitumen. Okay, um, and there's different kinds. That's the kind that, that, is, that becomes hard when it dries. All right, so that's the size. Now, what does it say that it's made out of? All right, how many of you have a gopher tree growing in your yard? Makes you think of, what's that Bill Murray movie? Uh, Caddyshack, where he's trying to blow up the gophers. Okay. okay, maybe it doesn't make you think of that. That's good, you're more sanctified than I am then. Um, gopher wood. The reason, anybody know why it's called gopher wood? Because the Hebrew word is gopher. <laughs> But no one knows what it means, gopher. So there's two options, and I want to talk you through both of those and tell you the one that I think is more likely. Okay, there is gopher, which um, in the Septuagint gets translated, because they didn't know what it was either, to squared beams. Squared beams, like planks, Okay, just like a modern boat would be built, or a boat would be built at the time, 200 BC, they were translating the Septuagint. And they were translating that in Egypt. So they're looking at the kind of boats that they have, and they say, well, the only thing we can think that gopher means is squared planks. And that's the way, this is um, the, the one that's down in Kentucky, the Ark Encounter, I think it's called, by that Australian guy. Okay, That's the way they have decided to depict it, is built out of squared planks. Okay, And is that possible? Yes. I also think it's not extremely likely, because of the amount of labor that it would take to build the Ark in that way, and the technology that would have been used to build the ark that way. Okay, have you ever seen someone today who's building a boat? Like, just take a small one, like a cedar canoe. How long does it take to take and make a cedar canoe out of squared planks of cedar? Yeah, if you do it by yourself, it takes a long time. It can take months and months, it can take up to years, because you have to take all those squared planks and bend them in a very special, unique way around the curves of the ship in every direction. And sometimes you have to 
heat them with steam so that they become bendable, and then you have to bend them with tremendous force and then cut them so that the lines are there, and then you have to fill in the gaps with... Um, Today they do it with cotton. They, they hammer cotton in between the planks and then you cover that with the pitch or the tar and that makes it waterproof. And it's definitely possible that that's what Noah did. So it is an option, but I don't think it's necessarily the best option. All right, Pastor, what's the best option then? This is going to sound crazy. <laughs> okay. The best option, I think, and this is um, then historically an existent boat called a goferi. And these were used in Iraq on the Tigris and Euphrates River all the way up until the 1930s when modern boats were introduced into the area and goferi disappeared. Goferi is the Assyrian word for reeds. And we know that for a fact. Can, um, let's just ask this, since we talked about people descended from Shem before, Semites, Semitic people, the Assyrian language is a Semitic language just like Hebrew. And so this has been put forward by a guy named Irving Finkel, who's a riot to listen to. You can look him up on YouTube. He is not Christian, but he's got an incredibly funny English sense of humor. And I think it's because his full-time job is he sits in the British Museum in the basement translating uh, cuneiform texts. Okay, He doesn't get out much. And so when he does, he's hilarious. <laughs> um, He's put forward that the ark is a giant gufa, reed, reed boat. Uh, and in fact, he's so confident that, that on the TV show Nova, how many of you have seen Nova? Several years ago, he made an enormous one to prove that it's possible. Okay? Um, and I'm going to show you that picture in a minute. Why do I think this is more likely... Because in Exodus 2, the word for ark, which I have listed there, right? Uh, tabath, right here. Tabath, 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 I don't remember. That word is the word used in Genesis 6 for the ark. And it's also the word used when Moses is born and his mother puts him in the tabath and puts him into the Nile River. What is it that Moses is placed into in the Nile River? A reed basket. Okay? Just like this one that's pictured here. All right, so the word is used in both places. Ark, that's what it is. Basket. Okay? And that's why I think this is probably more likely. Plus the connection to the word goferi and the gufas. Here's the giant one that Irving Finkel built. Now you'll notice there's a difference in his because what shape is his? Round, okay? Because he's a Babylonian expert, not a Bible expert. So he made his round 
like it says in the Epic of Gilgamesh, but you still can build it. And you see it's covered in pitch on the outside, and it did float. And so they took it out on the Nova show and then into the water, and you could watch it float away. Um, That's the one that he built, completely out of reeds. Completely out of reeds. All right? Also in Iraq, the same place, and just think about Iraq. How many trees do they have in Iraq? Not very many. So when you're going to build your house, what do you build your house out of? Reeds. At least they used to. And so this is a 500-year-old, still-in-existence reed house. Completely made out of reeds. The beams and the walls uh, are made out of reeds. Now I want you to look at that shape and imagine it upside down. In fact, this is the wonders of technology. I learned these things from Pastor Poppy when he was... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when he was doing PowerPoints, he always had the fun, really hip animations. So watch, watch. Oh, <laughs> look at that. <laughs> okay. What does that look like it could become very easily? An ark. An ark. <laughs> okay. If you built an upside-down house that was very big and covered it in pitch... Um, you can make it out of reeds. All right? So that's my suggestion to you on what gopher wood is. Reed beams is what it's meaning. Covered in pitch. All right. Can we say that for sure? No. But I, that's what I lean towards. You take... Take the round front and the round back and put it on that house. You've got a ship. You've got a ship. All right, questions. Do I sound crazy? Okay. The, the, the time it would take to build that, yeah. And that's why, too, I think... From a practical standpoint, building it out of reeds coated and pitched is, is actually, I think, easier than building it out of wooden beams because you tie the, the reeds together in the shape that you want and you weave it like a basket. And they still do this, like in Africa, you go and they have huts they still live in that are made out of, they're like baskets. They weave a basket and then they cover the outside of it in cow manure because that sticks the best. And then that's your house, a basket covered in this thing to keep it waterproof. And to me, that just makes perfect sense. Make a giant basket, cover it in pitch. It's going to take a long time. And when you start, you're going to say, this is pretty crazy. But who is with Noah and his family as they do this? God. I think it solves some of the logistic things too. If I cut down a tree, if I cut down the trees in the church parking lot median, how long is it going to take to grow a new one so that I can use the wood again? 
These ones have been growing for 20 years. Is that about right, Clint? 20 years? Okay. And they're just barely big enough to make something out of. But if they're reeds, <laughs> um, we have a little drainage pond by our house that they let cattails grow in the summer to slow the water down. And then every fall, they come down and mow them down. And how fast do they grow back? <laughs> Very fast. Okay, do you see how this is a better building material for that reason alone? So, okay. Right. That yeah, yeah. So I I will say I agree with you, except I do not think Noah built it out of carbon fiber. <laughs> no, no, I'm just <laughs> it would still be here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's my. I don't know if that blows your mind or not. I think that that's what it means when it says go for wood. Okay, Clint. Yes, and we're going to get there, so I'll give you a, a, I'll whet your appetite. When we read the ark came to rest on Mount Ararat, we are thinking a modern map, and there's only two mountains that are called Mount Ararat, and they're both volcanoes uh, in eastern Turkey. But at the time that Moses is writing this, there's a kingdom uh, around Lake Van, which is up by Armenia and Azerbaijan. Um, and that kingdom at that time is known as the kingdom of Urartu. And that kingdom has a lot of mountains in it, including Mount Ararat. That's where Ararat got its name. But it could be any of the mountains in the kingdom of Urartu which was well known at the time Moses is writing. And so, your question was actually about the History Channel shows. There is a documentary on the kingdom of Urartu. And so watch that, and then say, aha, that's where the ark is. Have they found it? No. Are they going to find it? I don't think so. But that's the place that's there. And there's, we're running out of time, there's ancient evidence for this in things like Josephus when he uh, writes his history of the Jewish people. There's an enclave there that exists now called Nakhchivan, and Nakhchivan gets its name, that what that means is the place Noah came down. <laughs> and in Nakhchivan, the city, they have the tomb of Noah. Okay? And at the time Josephus wrote in 80 AD, that town, Nakhchivan, already existed and was called Nakhchivan, and everybody thought Nakhchivan is where Noah came down and where he lived. Now, the thing that makes that weird is Azerbaijan and Armenia are nowhere near 
the people who believe in Noah. So why is that town called Nakchivan when it's not in Israel or in a place influenced by Israelis? What if it's because it was the place Noah came down and was buried? And it's in the kingdom of Urartu. And you can go home and look it up on Google Earth or Google Maps, Nakchivan. It's there. 2,000 years ago, that's what Josephus said. The name means that I, I, it all fits. The rest of them, I don't think I'd watch them. <laughs> so that's just my opinion. All right. What's that? Oh, goodness. How do you spell Nakchivan? <laughs> um, N-A-K-C-H-I-V-A-N. Nakchivan. What's that? What's the name of the kingdom? The kingdom of Urartu. Urartu. U-R-A-R-T-U. Urartu. So, and Semitic languages don't have vowels. So the consonants are all the same. Ararat, Urartu, they're the same place. And it can be any of those mountains in the kingdom of Van. If, if you don't want to spell Urartu, just look up the kingdom of Van. <laughs> V-A-N, that's much easier. And we'll talk more about that in a couple weeks when we get through the flood. And I'll show you on the map and pictures, the whole thing. All right, we're out of time. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.